everybody. So, so good to be with you. It's time to preach the word. Let me just say, if you've, if you've been watching or attending for at least a, a couple of weeks, you notice that there's a conspicuous absence on stage this morning. I don't have crutches. Hallelujah. So yeah, I was playing and I, I it, it's not a, it's not pretty. My limp is not pretty, but it is progress. Amen. Uh, I was playing basketball against my 12 year old a couple of months ago, was shooting a layup, just went full send, completely tore my meniscus, partially tore my MCL. And I am officially getting old, man, just a bummer. Uh, so today we're continuing our sermon series called Choose. And this morning, I want to teach you a little bit about living in the past, present, or future, and how to make the right choice about when to live. Let me give you an example from my own life. I taught here at Trace last Sunday, and uh, my wife and I knew that some friends of ours were coming to Colorado to stay for the weekend. They They were flying in from Northeast Louisiana, which is where we moved here from. And so we drove to Aspen where they told us that they were staying um, and we were gonna meet them at a really nice hotel in Aspen. We are gonna stay the night and we were gonna uh, eat with them there and it was just gonna be a cool time. So we leave uh, Colorado Springs uh, last Sunday afternoon and we drive four hours through uh, the mountains, beautiful drive and make it to Aspen, Colorado. And so we pull into the hotel. Our vehicle is still running. This just really nice gentleman named Levi comes to our vehicle. He's like, let me get your bags out for you. He's unloading our bags. And I call our friends. I'm like, guys, we're so excited. We're here. And they say, hey, we're coming down to the lobby. We'll be there in just a second. And so my family and I go to the lobby. This nice gentleman named Levi gets our bags uh, on the cart into the lobby. And like five minutes go by. And my friend calls. And she's like, uh, Trent, I'm in the lobby. Where are you guys? And I'm like, we're in the lobby too. And she's like, Trent, where are you? And I'm like, we're in Aspen at the hotel. And she said, we're in Avon, which is another like hour and 40 minute drive. We've already been on the road for four hours. So look, the Langhofer family, we fall in line. We don't miss a beat. I'm like, we're on our way. Uh, Kids, get the bags, get in the vehicle. Kyrus, hop in the uh, passenger seat. Let's roll. And so they're throwing bags in. We get in the vehicle and we drive. And an hour and 40 minutes later, we make it to Avon. So another really nice guy comes to our vehicle, valet uh, goes and gets our, starts getting our bags out. And our vehicle is the kind of car that you don't have to have a key in the ignition to drive it. You have to have the key in the vehicle to start it, but you don't have to have the key in the vehicle to drive it. And so I get out, we're now in Avon, right hotel, things are feeling good, and the valet, after getting our bags out, is like, can I have the key? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, key, key, key. Where, where's the key, Where, where's the key? I'm like, babe, do you have the key? She's like, babe, you're driving. <laughs> Why would I have the key? You have the key. I'm like, kids. Which one of you guys has the key? Somebody's playing a trick on me. Who's got the key? We tore the vehicle apart. I'm like, I got to call the hotel in Aspen. You know where this is going. I call the hotel in Aspen and my good friend Levi the valet says, Trent, I got your key right here an hour and 40 minutes away from your hotel in Avon. Long story short, my wife, who is an angel, 
absolutely an angel, had a spare key in her purse. Can we get a praise the Lord for my wife that she had a spare key? So listen, since that moment, I have thought back to how much I regret the lost time we could have spent with friends that we were otherwise spending driving or super stressed that we didn't have a key. I thought about that a lot after the fact. And let me tell you this, true story, I have been so much more anxious about the location of our keys in the days since that, that I'm like now officially the key guru in our house. I know where they're at and who's got them at all times. And I'm, I'm worried that at some point in the future, something like that could happen again. Now, this is just a mistake. It's kind, of a, it's kind of a funny story. The wrong place, left your key story is funny. But church family, some, some stories in life, some scenarios in life are not funny. They're downright tragic. Once there was a, a five-year-old. Let me, let me tell you a story that's a little bit heavier, actually a lot heavier. There's a five-year-old from a wealthy family who was cared for by a nurse. And let me, let me pick up the story in 2 Samuel chapter 4 and verse 4. So there was a five-year-old who was cared for by a nurse, and, and he was uh, the son of Jonathan, who was the son of Saul. So here's the way this story reads. Jonathan, son of Saul, had a son who was disabled. He was lame in both feet. And he was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. And this was bad news. This wasn't good news. What happened is that this young boy's grandfather, Saul, ended his own life. And the same day, this young boy's father, whose name was Jonathan, was killed in battle. And so here's this young five-year-old boy that's being cared for by a nurse that all of a sudden gets news that his grandfather has committed suicide and his father has committed suicide. And put that last part of, of chapter four back up on the screen. When the news came, his nurse picks him up and she fled. But as she hurried to leave, the boy fell and he became disabled. And his name was Mephibosheth. Man, what, a, what a difference, Trace, a day can make in life. So the morning that Mephibosheth woke up on this particular morning, he was the member of a royal family. His grandfather, Saul, was king in Israel, actually the first king. And the Bible teaches that Saul was really handsome and intelligent and athletic, and everybody in Israel wanted Saul to be king. And Saul has a son, Jonathan, that's popular and his personality is winsome and he's well-liked and he has a son named Mephibosheth and the family is wealthy and they're powerful and they have influence and they're loved and things are going okay for Mephibosheth. And then one day he gets news that absolutely changes his life. He goes from being a, an affluent member of the royal family to being an orphan that has a physical disability. You talk about beginning the day on planet Earth and ending your day on planet Mars, 
This was that kind of a day for Mephibosheth. And life can throw some unexpected things at us, can it not? Tragedy can strike at any moment. And over the years as a, as a trained counselor, I've worked with people who have lived through the unimaginable and the tragic, and they've made the wrong choice regarding when to live, when to live. And if last week was about how to live, living in the truth versus living under a lie, this, this Sunday would be about when to live. And some people, when they go through tragedy and the unimaginable happens, they end up living in the past. And this was true for Mephibosheth. So how do you know if you're living in the past? Let me, let me share that with you. If you're living in the past, probably you feel shame, guilt, or regret. Likely you also surround yourself with the wrong people or you have a desire to run and hide. If any of those things are true for you in life, you are living in the past. Now, if you'd read the story that's in 2 Samuel, you'd see that everything I'm about to teach you is true. For the sake of time, I'm gonna run through some of these ideas quickly because I really wanna get this information to you. But, but how, how do we know Mephibosheth lived in guilt, shame, or regret? His name, the name Mephibosheth, actually means from the mouth of shame. The guy's name meant shame and regret and guilt. And Mephibosheth went through things earlier in life that made him want to have a do-over. Those are, those are what I call in my own life time machine moments, man, where if I could like build a time machine, I would go back and I wouldn't play the lottery or bet on a baseball game. I'd redo the moments in my life that caused me the greatest pain. For his name to mean mouth of shame, can you imagine how many nights Mephibosheth laid awake wishing that things turned out differently for him. And it's true in our lives. Every single one of us, Trace Church, has those moments in our life we wish we could do over, those time machine moments where if we could go back in the past, those are the moments in our stories we would change. Those are the moments we felt humiliated or embarrassed or hurt, or hurt someone we love, the moments we regret. And Mephibosheth, no doubt, had a hard time letting go of that particular day. He also lived with a guy named Makir, son of Amiel. And while we don't know a lot about Makir, we do know a couple of things. First, Makir was not a member of Mephibosheth's family. He wasn't even a member of Mephibosheth's extended family, wasn't even a close friend. Why would Mephibosheth have decided to live with Makir, son of Amiel? At least because Makir, son of Amiel, was the kind of guy who let Mephibosheth get away with not having to deal with his stuff. He didn't ask Mephibosheth any questions about what happened to your grandfather. Hey, aren't you the grandson of King Saul? Man, what happened to that guy? 
Makir also wasn't asking him about his father. Man, your father was this intelligent warrior. What, what happened to him? And Makir was the kind of guy who just let Mephibosheth be. He just let him be. And man, when we've gone through tragedy or the unimaginable or the unexpected in life, we feel the same as Mephibosheth. We want to surround ourselves with the kind of people who will let us avoid dealing with our stuff. And they won't lovingly challenge us to do the work that if we would otherwise do would help us let go of the past that at times in life it just seems we can't let go of. And Mephibosheth also lived in a place called Low Debar, which means the middle of nowhere. Now, think about that for a second. What, what could possess a person to want to go live in the middle of nowhere? What, what could possess somebody to want to live where nobody else lived, where people didn't tend to travel through and most people likely didn't even know about? What would possess a person to want to live in the middle of nowhere is if that person had lived through such tragedy, such pain, and such hardship, they just wanted to hide. They just wanted to go where nobody knew their name. And nobody would happen along that would recognize them. And they, and they wouldn't have to confront the pain that they were running from. And if you're like me, when, when tragedy strikes in life and you experience hardship and difficulty, man, I just want to hide sometimes. I just want to shut myself off from the world and just be. And not everybody struggles with living in the past. Uh, some of the people I've worked with over the years, instead of, of guilt, shame, and regret and surrounding themselves with the wrong people and wanting to run and hide, some people live too far into the future. They live too far into the future. How might you know if you're living too far into the future? Well, if you feel fear, worry, or anxiety, or you have feelings of hopelessness and uncertainty, Trace Church, you're living too far in the future. Again, if you'd read more of the story, this was also true of Mephibosheth. So, so a, a man named David, after Saul ends his life and, and Jonathan passes, a man named David becomes king in Israel. And David and Jonathan were really close friends. David and the son of Saul, which would be Mephibosheth's dad, they were really close friends, like brothers, the scripture teaches us. And so when David becomes king, he asks some of his advisors, like, is there another member of the house of Jonathan living today? And they say, yeah, we know of a man named Mephibosheth. I, we don't really know exactly where he's staying, probably in the middle of nowhere, and they were right. And so Mephibosheth is summoned, and, and the story reads that he was afraid when he stood in the king's presence. And if you'd really dig into this, it's not the type of reverential fear we would all likely feel if we're standing in front of a dignitary or a president or a king. All of us would feel that. This was that and then some. Mephibosheth was actually terrified. 
He was stricken with terror because he had lived through worst case scenario kinds of moments in life. And when he was summoned, he couldn't imagine an outcome other than a worst case kind of scenario outcome. And for some of us in life, when we go through tragedy or unimaginably painful experiences, it's the same for us. And we lay awake at night worried about things that haven't even happened yet because we're so concerned with what might be as it relates to what has been. And that fear in Mephibosheth's case when he's standing before David really ruined what would have otherwise maybe been one of the most powerful and wonderful moments of his life. And the same is true of us when we're living too far in the future, worried about things that haven't happened yet because of what's happened in our past. We lose some of the wonder and majesty and beauty of what's happening in our present. And when Mephibosheth finally gets in front of David, he says to King David, uh, who, who am I, your servant, a dead dog, that you should acknowledge someone like me? And one of the features of living too far into the future is feeling hopeless or uncertain about what the future holds. And, and once again, all of us might feel a little humbled in the presence of a king. We, we all might feel kind of like dogs, comparatively speaking, but a dead dog? What kind of a future, Trace, does a dead animal have? They don't have a future. Murphy's law was true for Mephibosheth. If it could go wrong, it went wrong, and it went wrong on a scale so grand it would be hard to even imagine. And when he's standing in the presence of a king, he's going, I am like a dead dog. What could go wrong in my life has. I've got nobody. I'm surrounded myself with people who don't know me. I got nothing. I live in the middle of nowhere. What could you possibly want with me? Hopeless and feeling helpless and terrified. And some of the experiences that some of you have had in life influence those same kinds of feeling, just like I'm a, a dead dog with just no hope for any kind of a future. What a tragic, sad situation for Mephibosheth and how unfortunate for us when we find ourselves living too far in the past and too far in the future. Let me teach you the truth about the past and the future. The past and the future, those are God's responsibility. Those are his realms. The present is our responsibility. In life, we need to be responsible. Listen to me, Trace, for the things we can control. And there's one person on the planet that you can control, and that's your spouse, right? And you can force them not to forget the keys. Can I get an amen? Now, the one person in life you can control is you. So take responsibility for you. You can influence others for good and for bad, but you can actually only control yourself. And the time you can control is right now. The time that is under the locus of your control is your present.
You can plan for and influence your future, but what tomorrow holds is outside the realm of any of our control. And we can't go back and erase the past. We can only start from today and write a new ending, not a new beginning. And that sounds nice, doesn't it? Oh man, Trent, I love that. But that's a lot easier said than done. Can I get an amen? What's really neat about what happens to Mephibosheth is his struggle with living too far in the past or too far in the future gets healed. And it gets healed in interaction that he has with the king. I love this part of the story. So let me give you the context. This is also from 2 Samuel chapter 9 still. I'm in verse 7. He's standing in front of the king and David says, Mephibosheth, look, don't be afraid for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I'll also restore all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul. And the third thing, you will always eat at my table. And what, what wonderful news for a man who felt broken and hopeless and helpless. The first, the first thing that helps begin to heal Mephibosheth is the kindness of a king. The kindness of a king healed Mephibosheth. So I was doing some research for this lesson on the influence of kindness or relationships on our overall mental health. And there was a study published in 2019. And in 2019, some people were interested in the mental health status of doctoral students. And so a lot of doctoral students were surveyed and the survey uh, discovered that 23% of all doctoral students surveyed exhibited the symptoms of depression. And, and 20% of all doctoral students surveyed exhibited the symptoms of an anxiety disorder. Uh, so that should deter all of us from wanting to go get our doctorate degrees, right? It's not the best news. And so the researchers were interested in how a regular meeting with a mentor influenced those symptoms of depression and those symptoms of anxiety. And so the researchers assigned those students that exhibited those symptoms to a mentor and they found a negative or an inverse correlation in the frequency of meetings with mentors and the symptoms that doctoral students exhibited as far as depression and anxiety were concerned. What does that mean? the more frequently students connected with higher up faculty that showed them kindness, compassion, and concern, the better they felt about themselves. And that's what the scriptures are teaching us here, that a king beckons to Mephibosheth and says, Mephibosheth, let me show you some kindness. Let me be compassionate towards you. I'm concerned about you. I want to help you. And that kindness began to shift Mephibosheth's heart and his sense of his situation and his perspective of his future. And it began to heal him. We also read in 2 Samuel 9, 7 that David said, I'm going to restore to you the land owned by your grandfather, Saul. Being restored by a king healed Mephibosheth. That particular day, Mephibosheth's status changed. 
He went from being a nobody in the middle of nowhere to a landowner in the middle of the kingdom of the people of God. That change in status restored one of the most powerful qualities of our lives this side of heaven, hope. Man, with land, maybe things will be different. With land, maybe opportunities will come my way that wouldn't have otherwise come my way. With land, I don't have to hide out in the middle of nowhere anymore. And my favorite part, man, is that David says, you're gonna have a place with me at my table for the rest of your life. Having a place with the king Trace Church, a place at the king's table was not a place that Mephibosheth could afford. A place at the king's table was not a place that Mephibosheth deserved. And let's be honest, a guy from the middle of nowhere with nothing to offer, quite frankly, just didn't belong at the king's table. And if land changed his status. Having a place where Mephibosheth belonged changed Mephibosheth's identity from the middle of nowhere to somewhere, from nobody to somebody, from lost to found. Come on, Trace, from dead to alive, from hopeless to hopeful, from no place where he belonged to a place at the king's table. You, you might be saying, how, how do we know this really healed him? How do we know he didn't go back to doing what he always had done? Because past behavior, Trent's the best predictor of future behavior. I'll show you 2 Samuel 9, 13. Mephibosheth didn't live the rest of his life in the middle of nowhere around people amongst whom he could be invisible. For the rest of his life, he lived in Jerusalem and, and he did differently. He ate always at the king's table. And what I like about the way this verse ends, he was lame in both feet. Man, some things in life physically, some physical, natural things don't change. But they don't have to for us to get the kind of healing we need from our past to stop worrying about our future and be able to live and take responsibility for our present. And this is the same stuff that heals us. King David has been dead a long time, but King Jesus, he's alive. And like David was beckoning for Mephibosheth, Trace Church, King Jesus is beckoning to you. He wants to show you his kindness, his compassion, his care, and his concern. He wants to restore you. He wants to change your status so that you don't have to feel like you got to live in the middle of nowhere and that you don't amount to anything. He wants your status to change and he wants to give Jesus the King, wants to give you a place at his table, a place in his family, a place where you belong, where your identity can change, where you can go from hopeless to hopeful, where you can go from lost to found, where you can move from death, come on, Trace, to life.
That can happen for you if you'll just interact with and surrender to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, Jesus. So I'm gonna gonna pause right now in my lesson and I wanna move into our time of response. And, And in this time, I want you to consider your life. And it's gut check time. When are you living, if you're being honest with yourself? Are you, are you living with feelings of guilt, shame, and regret? Have you surround yourself with people that give you a pass? Are you, are you running and hiding from things that you've been through in life? If that's true, you're living in the past, and King Jesus wants to heal that in you today. Maybe you, maybe you are constantly just overwhelmed with feelings of fear, worry, or anxiety, and you're up at night thinking about what could happen despite the fact that it hasn't happened yet. Or maybe you feel some hopelessness and uncertainty about the future. If that's you, you're living too far in the future. And Jesus, King Jesus, wants to heal that in you too. And so while we go into this time of response, if that's you, I want you to feel the kindness and love of Jesus this morning. So uh, on the four corners of this auditorium, we've got communion tables set up. Whether you're a regular attender or visitor, we want you to take communion with us this morning. And when you do, if you're struggling with living in the past or too far in the future, as you take communion, I want you to feel the kindness and nurturing of King Jesus this morning. And I want you to consider that he intends to restore you. If you've gone through loss, he wants to restore. I want you to meditate on that. And most importantly, and and my favorite, he, he has a place for you where you belong, which is with him. And as you take communion, I just want you to visualize his arms around you, his love, his restoration, and him inviting you into a place just right beside him. And if you'll do that, he'll begin to heal you from living in the past or too far in the future. Uh, We also just would love if you regularly attend to consider, for you to consider joining with us in, in ministry. One of the best ways you can do that is by giving online on the app or via text. There's some boxes by the doors in the auditorium that you can give. Also, we could not do what we do in this community as Trace Church without your support. And we want to get this message of healing and restoration that's found in Jesus out to every person in El Paso County and Colorado and all over the world. And your generosity helps with that. Thank you so much for giving us the chance to do that here at Trace. I'm going to pray. And after I pray, I invite you to respond. And I'm so thankful for your willingness to be here this morning. Let's bow. Precious Heavenly Father, come before you just so, so thankful for Jesus thankful for his kindness, his restoration, and his invitation to each of us to the place that he's prepared for us alongside him. God, I just ask in this moment that our church, all those who are in attendance and all those who are online would just be moved to experience Jesus's kindness, his restoration, and his invitation in a fresh new way this morning. I ask that lives are changed, hurts are healed, and relationships are mended. We thank you so much for this time. It's in Jesus' precious name we pray. 
Amen.